0: If you're doing a Zoom interview, there's a way that you should set up.
1: Katie interviewed uh, somebody, Katie has two funny interview stories. One person she interviewed recently was on a Peloton while she was taking the interview. Every so often Katie could see a knee come up in the frame. (laughs) Another guy she interviewed had, you remember the Nirvana Baby cover of the album? Huge, that poster right behind him. It's like hey, I appreciate Nirvana. I that like was Nirvana. like totally my like high school years right there, but why? <laughs> like why just do the blur? <laughs> this is admissible. I'm Natalie Blazer, Dean of Admissions at UVA Law. I'm so excited for today's show because we've talked a lot about careers after law school on this podcast already. Sometimes quite directly, like when we had our clerkships director on as a guest earlier this season, but more often indirectly. And that's because finding a great job in the legal market is pretty much the reason you go to law school in the first place. So naturally, it comes up a lot in the conversations I've had with previous guests. Because the topic of legal careers comes up so much and because a prospective law student's career goals are so central to the process of deciding among law schools, I am thrilled to have our very own Senior Assistant Dean for Career Development, Kevin Donovan, on the show today. Prior to joining the law school in 2009, Dean Donovan was a litigation partner in the Philadelphia office of Morgan Lewis and Bacchius LLP. He also clerked for U.S. District Judge Frank J. Battisti in the Northern District of Ohio. Dean Donovan attended Dartmouth College for undergrad and the University of Pennsylvania for law school we won't hold that against him. Welcome to Admissible, Dean Donovan.
0: Thanks, Natalie. Glad to be here.
1: And I will call you probably Kevin from now on. Um, so in this season, I've been asking every guest at the top of the show, um, what would be your last meal on earth?
0: Oh, That's a tough one. Probably crab cakes, I think. And I need like a good double IPA to go with it. And really good dessert some kind of type of pie probably
1: oh man
0: those don't go together very well but
1: no but you got to get it all in those are your last meal so before we talk about how you help launch our law students careers at UVA I want to start by asking a little bit about your own career path you obviously had a very successful legal practice for about 20 years so what led you to pivot to higher education and specifically to this role in career development at UVA
0: you know, it was interesting. I was I enjoyed being a lawyer and I and I pra- did practice for 20 years and and I was at a point in my career where um, you know, I was I had enjoyed what I had done, but I just got to that point where I felt like I was ready to try something different and like a good type A lawyer, I sat around with my wife for about a year and a half thinking about what I might like to do, and talking to people in different industries, and ultimately, um, I applied for for one job. And I had a, my brother, who's in industry, told me like that doesn't work. You don't just apply for one job. And is now a career professional, I would say that's correct. Um, but it did work, and um, and and shortly after that, I came to came to UV Law. That was about thirteen years ago.
1: It was meant to be. It was meant to be. <laughs> so let's talk about the Office of Career Development, or upstairs, as I usually call it, since you sit right above us in admissions. Can you give us an overview of the office structure and, and how those three components work together up there?
0: Sure. Like We're, we're kind of broken into three parts. Um, we have the Office of Private Practice, which, so I kind of lead the career development effort, but I'm also sit in the Office of Private Practice because of my background. And that office focuses on Students who are going to go to law firms, who are going to go to corporations, um, to other types of jobs like in the private sector. We also have a wonderful public service center, uh, the Mortimer Kaplan Public Service Center. And the public service center is going to focus on everything that kind of isn't in the private sector with one big exception that I'll talk about. So that would be government and prosecution, uh, nonprofits, um, legal aid, all the types of things that people do to serve the public good and they do a wonderful job. And then the third office is the Office of Judicial Clerkships. And a judicial clerkship, as your listeners probably know from an earlier podcast, is when you go to work for a judge, usually right after law school or a year or two after law school, you go work for a year, you help the judge in the running of the chambers and the writing of opinions. Um, And there are also opportunities for law students during the time in law school to work in a judicial internship where they spend a summer with a judge. These are really like coveted highly sought after positions so we have a whole office that's focused on that and ruth painter runs that office is really one of the best in the country our clerkship results are, are, are phenomenal so the three offices work together and the goal is you come you may not know what you want to do we all work together and we'll help you try to sort out that question of what the right thing is for you
1: yeah And so today we are going to focus on the private sector. So when people think of private sector jobs after law school, is that for the most part law firms?
0: It is for the most part law firms, and largely because a lot of our graduates will ultimately someday end up working in-house, it's called, for a corporation, working for a corporation's legal staff. But the path into that is generally through several years of practice at a law firm. And so most of our graduates will... Go off to a law firm, and in fact, many of our graduates who down the road are considering public service options will go to a law firm for some period of time to kind of build skills and to and to you know learn the industry because many of the more coveted public service jobs also uh, require some prior experience.
1: Right, I did a couple different sort of public service jobs in the summer. Like my first summer, I was told at the time, and I think this advice holds true: to be trained as an attorney like in the U.S., a big law firm, they have the resources, the time, the money to train you.
0: The model is one where, like, when I was a partner, like, I personally cared about the development of my associates, but it was also the, a sense that, like, this brief that we're going to write is going to go out over my name, and they may be writing a big chunk of it, but, like, I'm watching it carefully, and I'm providing feedback, and I'm trying to shape their writing and their, and their development. So the model is one that requires and emphasizes like a supervisory model for some number of the early years. But like this is going to be entirely driven by what the student is trying to accomplish. A lot of our students coming in will say, I want to go to a firm that has got a really strong practice in an area that I'm interested in. And on a more practical level, it's going to pay a market salary that's going to allow me to, you know, law school is a big expense, like not just the The money you pay to come, but the three years that you spend picking up these, you know, invaluable skills. And so many, many instances we're trying to hit a market segment that is going to pay people a ways that allows them to um, pay for law school, you know, develop um, as a lawyer, and then they'd stay on and become a partner at the firm or move on to the job that's the next job um, for them. That leads to many of our students um, opting to pursue some of the larger firms in the country. But we also have people who come from, um, they want to go back to their home state and they want to work in a, in a smaller firm. And so that is going to be you know, kind of a very bespoke search to get them to the place they want to be.
1: Right. So let's talk about when a student gets to UVA Law. They've just started their 1L year. Kind of walk us through how your office works with that 1L.
0: Sure. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to try to meet them early in the first semester. We're going to give them a little time to get into classes, but we're going to have some sessions that allow us to teach them, like, what are the big areas that people work in in private practice so that they can start to kind of sort for themselves and think, how will my skill set fit with these different practice areas? And we, one of the things that really characterizes our office is that almost all of us were longtime practitioners before we came here. You know, I was 19 years in practice. One of my colleagues was 15, another one was 8, another was 7. Um, we did this job for a long time before we came here. So we can share what do you do as a litigator in a big firm, or if you're in a mergers and acquisitions lawyer, or if you're um, in an energy regulatory practices, what are these things? So first, there's an education piece then we'll set them up with an individual counselor based on what they think they want to do and they'll spend some time during the fall talking about different job opportunities developing their employment documents their resume and a cover letter for for application processes deciding what they're going to apply for for their 1l summer the first of their summers and that's kind of the way the fall works as we move into the spring we generally uh, open up the whole office. So you just decide who you want to go talk to and you go you go talk to that person. You can try on different things and figure out like where you want to be applying for jobs. These are really concrete meetings. They're not, I think initially it can seem like, oh, we're sitting there and we're just, you know, kind of shooting the breeze about careers in law. Like we're we're focused on a very specific goal and getting the building blocks in place to get to achieve that goal. Like you need a resume pretty soon as soon as you start networking. So we'll start putting a resume together. Before you make your first application, like, you're going to need to have a wonderful cover letter. And so the students will work on this and we'll provide feedback and, mm-hmm. and you know, talk about, like, we think they should maybe tighten this paragraph up or add another example here. And we'll try to get the letters to a point where we think they are a great, accurate presentation of what the students' skills are. And then they do need not just interview prep, but, like, if you're, if you're networking – you need to think about, like, what you're going to say in those networking meetings because people are going to ask you questions about yourself. And so we'll talk through the story and how they tell the story. You know, the one rule is it has to be truthful. But, like, there's so many aspects of your life you might choose to talk about when you're talking to people for a particular job. And so we'll talk about that and then move to interview prep. So all of these areas. And, like, you know, if you're listening to this and, like, you're first-generation student and you don't have a background in this, don't worry like that's what we're here for like is to, is to build those muscles. Um, it's like anything else it is a practiced learned skill. Mm-hmm. and as long as you are comfortable with learning to do this like you know we believe we can teach people to effectively network and we think we have the data to prove that. Um, and it is a life skill. It's the life skill that not only gets you the job but helps you in the job, helps you move to the next job, helps you move to the next job. Builds friendships. I mean, like all the things that like we want to have, you know, in life and in our careers. So I think it's a great skill to learn.
1: As someone who reviews resumes every single day, because the resume obviously is part of the law school application, how much does the resume change from what they brought to us to get into law school to then go to the firm?
0: Um, in appearance, a lot, mm-hmm. because we're very much focused on using format to drive accessibility we'd rather have less stuff but make sure the key stuff gets read Mm And then in phrasing, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to draw out from you, like, what did you do in this job that looks the most like being a lawyer? And then figure out how to get that onto the resume. And it it's funny. Like, a lot of times, it's not the thing that you were thinking about when you were in the job because you might have been proud about this aspect. But, like, this other thing you did is really very similar to something you'll do as, as an associate. And so we'll want to bring that out. And you're, you're going to have more than one resume. Like, if you're working with a public service center, yeah. their resume may look quite different from ours.
1: I always tell people like no colors, no graphics, no icons, no photos, certainly like just Make it so that we are focusing on the substance of the resume, right?
0: So far, I mean, lawyers. Like, if you (laughs) you came from like a marketing background and you worked with your college to kind of put together a marketing resume, like we're probably going to change that. Lawyer (laughs) resumes are still pretty boring. Yeah, Um, like we're still using Times New Roman on a lot of them, which like I think has been thrown into the trash heap of history. Otherwise, but (laughs) um, yeah, it's it's a it's a there's a certain look and feel that we're going for. And it's not like they're monolithic. We have multiple approaches you can take, but there are things that we don't think work as well. And we're going to try to steer you away. Ultimately, you're the decider. You get to pick whatever you want to do, but we know some things work better than others.
1: So what are a lot of 1Ls doing for that first summer? I think this has changed since I was
0: a student. You know, the the nice thing about uh, moving toward a career in private practice is you can do kind of many things mm-hmm. your first summer. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we encourage people like not to get entirely focused on um, if they're interested in a firm, like you've got to be at a firm your first summer and your second summer. If you're really thinking about the possibility that someplace down the road you might want to go – work at the Department of Justice or something like that, Like that might be a great option for you for your first summer to apply for, for the DOJ. Or if you think you might want to be a prosecutor, like go be a prosecutor. You're, work with a prosecutor your first summer and then come back. Um, in the, the way things work in the recruiting cycle is that 2L job, the one that comes after your second year of law school, is really the one in the private side that, that determines where you're likely to go after law school. So that first summer is a summer that you can use – for a lot of different things, we'll have about a quarter of the class, or maybe a little bit larger, some years that'll that'll go off to law firms. We'll have about a quarter that goes off to government. Um, we'll have, you know, maybe another fifteen to twenty percent that'll go and work for judges. We'll have people at, you know, nonprofits. Um, we'll have people at working at, for corporations. And we'll have some people who will be working with professors who might be thinking about an academic career and can use the summer to, um, you know, learn more about academic research. And all of those can set you up well for an ultimate application to firms for after graduation.
1: And I mentioned sort of that um, things have potentially changed since I was here. And especially I know the on-grounds interview process looks really different than it did, let's say, when was I doing that? 17 years ago now. Um, can you explain how the process used to work and sort of how it works now? Sure. And, what, and what led to the changes?
0: So the process, um, for a lot of great reasons, I'll, long ago before I went to law school, the um, the process became kind of regulated by a set of guidelines and they were guidelines they weren't rules um but they talked about like kind of when interviews should happen when i went to law school like we interviewed in the midfall of our second year and i probably accepted a position around thanksgiving mm-hmm. that would seem you know ludicrous now um <laughs> when you came i think you probably interviewed in the early fall and or the late summer mm-hmm. and Probably almost all of your interviews happened within a one-week period during our, our on-grounds interview process, um, and then you picked from the offers you had, and you and you and you selected your firm. Uh, now, what's happened is there are there are laws in the country that that limit the ability of you know certain entities to combine together to kind of say how the market is going to work, and I think there became some justifiable concern that that gosh these guidelines um, to the extent that they are limiting when. Adults can choose to interview and things like that may not be completely compliant with that. And so the guidelines went away and market forces started to, um, you know, kind of play a role in this. And um, the second semester grades for most students come out. In early June. And at that point, like most firms feel like they're in a position to be able to make a decision about whether a candidate is a good candidate. So we saw interviews start to sneak into the summer. Um, and now more and more are sneaking into the summer. We, I think about you know, 30 to 40% of people last cycle probably accepted a job that they got the offer for during the summer. Many of them will end up hanging on and going through the on-grounds interview process. So they're kind of fully informed on their offers. But there is more and more going on during that first summer. So they're at work, but their other job, but, at their... but
1: but thinking ahead to already the next summer,
0: correct, and thinking ahead. Wow. And so, the summer for us is a busy time, yeah. Um, we'll flex our hours, like we'll have hours from as early as 7 38 in the morning until after six at night. We'll have weekend hours because they're working during the day, and so we need to meet them outside of that and help them during this kind of this busy process.
1: So, then is there still some sort of formalized, like fall OGI on grounds interview process for people who? Like the other, let's say, 60 to 70 percent. Like I know since COVID, a lot of employers don't even come here in person anymore.
0: Is that all remote now? It's true. Like what happened was during COVID, um, employers were forced to kind of move to an online platform. Well, the online platform works really well. It's not that we're alone in this. Like none of the top schools are holding um, in-person on grounds interviews anymore. It was really efficient and effective to do those first interviews, which are usually only twenty minutes long, um, on the online platform. And so this year we did offer the option of you know coming down to Charlottesville or sticking with the online platform for our big interview session. And of the of the firms that register, the vast majority, over ninety eight percent, are going to use the online. But yes, we have a very robust um, uh, interview session from July thirty first to August third um, this year. Um, most students will have about ten interviews a day for at least the first three days, um, and you know eight to ten. And they'll most students will end up with about twenty interviews in that process if they decide to fully utilize it. Some students may have an offer that they got over the summer, and so maybe they're conducting a smaller interview program during that process. But yeah, we're going to have a we're going to have thousands and thousands of interviews at the at the beginning of August this year. It's incredible. I remember I was abroad my first summer. I was in the office of the prosecutor's office
1: in Bosnia, selected some firms to interview with while I was over there, came back, bought a suit, and in the in August in Charlottesville was like interviewing I think 4 or 5 firms a day in this suit just sweating. And yeah, you're right. Like within a few days, knew where I was getting called back, flew to New York. It all happens very fast, but it sounds like now it's just pushed back for a lot of people.
0: Pushed forward, right. Like we've all had to, we've all just had to adapt to the fact that there are all kinds of reasons why an employer might want to talk to people sooner. There's a lot of competition for our students and the students at the top schools. And and so the question is, like, why would you wait if, you've, if you know you want to talk to this person? So we've seen that.
1: Yeah. And so the student comes back for 2L year. How does your relationship with them evolve? What are you kind of doing in the 2L year that might be
0: different? So in the 2L year, a lot of the focus is going to be more on, like, for instance, tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to go and hang out with 100 2Ls um, doing a boot camp to prepare for, like, what's the summer like? What are the expectations? Mm. What are the things you should know going into it? And we'll spend about two hours together working on that. It's a voluntary session, but, like, many of our 2Ls will come. Um, Is that the we'll session called that. Are You a Keeper? It's called Are You a Keeper.
1: I, so uh, this was going to be a question I had later. Um what does that mean? Are you a keeper? Is that like how to impress the employer over the summer?
0: The idea is that if you that if you're the, the caliber of candidates that we have are coming to a school like this, like your goal should not be. I want to get a summer job and I want to get a return offer to that firm. Your goal should be like, I want to go and I want that firm like anxious for me to return. I want, I want there to be partners at that firm that are planning to put me on their case teams or their deal teams. I want to make an impression in the summer that is lasting and that is going to have impact and it's going to kind of create a path for me uh, to the career that I want. And, um, and, being prepared for the summer and for, and for what it brings is, is part of that process. And so there are associates, in my experience when I was at the firm, that you would do anything to keep um, as far as comp and bonuses and work and flexibility in where they work and how they work and whether they you know, can go off and do a clerkship and come back to the firm, all these types of things that students want. Um, and so much of it turns on the impression that you make. And so we try to help them prepare for, for that really important experience.
1: And I know in the vast, vast, vast majority of cases, um, you know, our students do great at their summer jobs. They also connect, you know, because your office helps them select the right type of summer experience, they, you know, move on and and that becomes sort of their post-graduation job. What happens when, for whatever reason, the 2L summer, they decide, you know what, that's not what I want to do post-graduation. So then now we're in the 3L year how do you work with them at that point? We start again,
0: right? We just kind of start start from from square one. And if the goal is I I was at this firm, but I want to be at a different firm um, or a different type of firm or a different market, um, we'll work on that. I mean, a lot of times if it's a different market, it may be as easy as just negotiating with your summer firm about like, is there is there an opening in the place I, I hope to be? A lot of times there's a personal reason. If it's a more fundamental change, like we'll work across the different offices to kind of chart a path. The 3L market is really different than the 2L market. There are fewer opportunities at large firms, but there are opportunities. Mm-hmm. There's also a much smaller applicant pool. So, you know, smaller amount of opportunities, smaller pool. If it's a more fundamental shift across to, you know, I've decided a big firm is not for me or a firm is not for me, that's fine. Like a lot of the public service opportunities really are opportunities that spring up in the third year. And so it's easy to make a transition in that direction. Clerkships are a little different. Like clerkships, dovetail well with a firm. You can Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm -hmm. go and clerk for a judge and your firm will be in 99 out of 100 cases will be thrilled that you're going to go to work for a judge for a year and will hold open the offer for you to come back.
1: That's sort of what I did. I, I was dragging my feet on accepting my 2L summer offer because I knew I wanted to do something else abroad. And I did get this clerkship at The Hague at the ICTY and my firm was more than happy, you know, to Let me basically defer my offer, as you just said.
0: I was Um, the same. And I loved my clerkship. I thought it was a terrific year.
1: Exactly. Great experience. Obviously, you're bringing great experience back to the firm. And when you think of the big law firms, you know, having done this as long as you have and also been a partner at one of them, like, do you think there are sort of personality or culture differences? Like when you meet with a student, are you like, oh, they would be perfect for X firm?
0: So students students would love for us to be able to say like, oh, I, like we know your spirit annual firm. Um, it's harder. Um, yeah. That is the piece that there are so many things that are measured about law firms. But that's part of the reason we emphasize networking so much and teaching networking and fostering networking is that the best judge of who's the perfect firm for you is you. I do think, and I'm, I'm sure you did from your firm, that, that not only do firms have cultures and personalities, but practices within firms have oh, cultures yeah. and personalities. And and you might be a fabulous fit for the litigation practice, and not such a great fit for the so for true. the corporate <laughs> practice. And so the idea is like get them as soon as we can. We have all these we have these like groundbreaking events where they're in small groups with attorneys from firms, so they can start to get comfortable, kind of in a very safe setting talking about, seeing what it's like to talk to attorneys mm-hmm. and, and, and get their arms around that. And um, and then they, per, they progress from that to kind of having individual conversations with attorneys. And I honestly believe, I mean, this was my case through the interview process when I did it. I think the process of that networking plus the interviews, you get a good sense of, of the different firms that you have opportunities at. And I think you are able, you know, 95 times out of 100, maybe more, to kind of Pick a firm that's a really great fit for you um, yeah. on a personality level.
1: So what about alumni? So a lot of people, as you and I both did, you know, change kind of career um, sectors, right? Like after a several years, some people after maybe just two or three, some people after 10 or 15. How often are you counseling alumni in in that situation?
0: counseling alumni almost on a daily basis. But we've spent a lot of time and energy in learning kind of the entry level and junior market and kind of building a system that works well on that. So I think the closer that someone is to graduation year, the more they're right in our wheelhouse. Um, But I think we have things to offer for people who are more senior as well.
1: And a lot of firms, I mean, my firm was like this, you'll know better than I do but i remember my firm i mean they know their business model is such that not everybody can stick around and make partner right so like there were a lot of opportunities to meet with alums of the firm who are now in house or who are doing something else and they obviously it's good for the firm for their alumni to be out doing other great cool interesting jobs that are not necessarily at the firm absolutely right so when i was preparing for this episode I was on your website, on the careers website. Um, I like to use a few statistics from time to time. Honestly, there were so many on there and so many impressive ones, I didn't know where to start. So I would be curious, you know, which ones do you think are the most important to highlight when it comes to understanding the success of our employment outcomes?
0: Sure. Um, There are different ways you could look at it depending on what it is you're looking for. Like one easy one is if, if if you're concerned about like law school is expensive and will I be able to get a job to pay for it? I mean, most schools provide data on how the folks going off to private practice are doing at the 25th, 50th, and 75th percentile of the class. Mm -hmm. You can look at that. And you might also look at, you know, like does a school have a significant number of people who are still seeking a graduation? But if those numbers are low and the, the salary numbers are good, then probably your school decision might be based on things other than the employment outcomes. You might say, like, all of these schools I'm looking at have, you know, good numbers. Right. You can kind
1: of take comfort in the fact that, okay, if I go to X, Y, Z school, you know, I feel comfortable that I don't need to kill myself to be at the top, top, top of the class to get a job. Right. Like the vast majority are getting a great job with a great salary.
0: Right. And I think that's an important point as people are thinking about this. Like, you're stepping into a much more competitive academic pool than you have in the past. And and no matter how hard you work, you may well end up at the center of a class that's a great class. And you want to be at a place where being, you know, center or even below center is not going to preclude you from being able to pursue the path that you want to pursue.
1: And recognizing, you know, that there's only so much the numbers can tell you, right? Like, a lot of different top law schools could have great employment statistics. But what do you think sets UVA Law's career counseling and development approach apart maybe from other schools?
0: I think there are a lot of great career offices. I think the thing, one of the things that's probably factually different is the amount of time that we all spent in practice. I don't see a lot of Mm -hmm. career offices that look like that, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, kind of top to bottom. And that's the same in in our public service office and and the same in you know, Ruth and judicial clerkships like these are all people who were who were lawyers and did this for a long time before they came to be counselors and now have been counselors for a long time and so you've got kind of the best of both worlds and i think this i think also like just the individualized focus I you mean, talk to talk to our students like yeah. like we are you know we are focusing on them as individual people and what it is they're trying to accomplish
1: our students just rave about your office all the time, as I'm sure you know. I mean, I've heard stories about getting someone from your office on the phone on Christmas Day or, you know, like you said, over the weekends. Like, they know that they are in great hands. And I think with all the stresses in law school, that can just be so nice to just feel that support.
0: It's nice for us, too. I mean, that's the the number one thing we look for when we hire is someone who's really excited to work with students.
1: Yeah. What's one thing that you wish law students knew or did more of, or maybe did less of, you know, I know you love working with them, but if you could, if you, if there was just one kind of consistent thing that you saw.
0: There's not really anything in, in the law student years that I think, you know, is really an issue. I I think the thing I want people to do is like really think about like about the job of lawyering and knowing it when you're thinking about the process of applying, talk to lawyers and about what they do and try it on and make sure. Because the only time it's really tough, I think, is when you get someone who comes and decides like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I'm not really in the right place. Fortunately, that happens pretty infrequently. But you want to really think about like, is this this a job that's the right job for me? And you can do that. Like, you know, if you're admitted to a school, ask to talk to some alums and, you know, and see and, and talk about what they do. And just get your arms around what this job of being a lawyer is because look the law degree can open lots and lots of doors but a lot of those doors do go through some amount of practice at the beginning not always but many many will practice for some period of time and so just making sure that that is the thing for you
1: yeah and you know speaking of our listeners it's it's April this this episode's going to come out mid-april and and a lot of people are in kind of crunch time now right like deciding which law school they they are going to attend what advice would you give to someone out there who's really sort of back and forth or, or, or having trouble making a law school decision?
0: I think the same way we feel about firms is like, you want to pick a place that you feel comfortable with, that you think you'll be happy at. Because like, happiness goes a long way to making everything else work in a tough situation. Like, you know, look, you work hard in law school. There's no doubt about it, there's no way around it. You work hard in practice. Being surrounded by people you like, um, you know, being happy in the place you are is incredibly central to all of this working and to you being able to do all the other things that you have to do. So I'd say that's number one. Um, ideally, like be thinking about like, does this school have the ability to kind of get me to the place that I want? Whether And I'm not saying firm-wise, I'm saying whatever it is you want to do. If you want to be a public defender, if you want to be a prosecutor down the road or directly out. Like thinking through how that all works, and of course, there's a money component, right? Like you may be paying more for one school than another, and you have to kind of value, like, how does that, you know, how does that play into this, um, into this picture? But a part of that is like what you can ultimately earn on the back, on the back end, in addition to whatever the the sticker is for what you're you're paying to get this great degree.
1: Right. Saving a few thousand on the front end is not worth it if you don't think you're. Employment, you know, is going to be the same kind of outcome.
0: Well, and this is the and this is the thing: like, private sector salaries in the United States are on what's called a bimodal curve, meaning that um, that you've got a group of firms that are paying kind of this national scale, which are which now in cities like New York and San Francisco and D.C. is around two hundred fifteen thousand a year for entry level salaries, and then there's a long gap. When you, like, when you make the jump and you say like, oh, well, I'm not going to end up doing that. I'm going to end up doing, you know, a smaller firm in a smaller city. It's not like you go from 215 necessarily down to like 175. Like you may go to, down to 85. And so mm-hmm. to kind of like... When you're doing this as a financial calculation, it's a relatively sophisticated financial calculation because you're thinking about, like, what's the likelihood I end up in this job versus this job? And that's, you got to take that into consideration when you're looking at what you're paying too and what you're getting.
1: So true. 215. Oh my gosh.
0: I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs>
1: that is crazy. Oh my gosh. Kevin, this was so fun. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It was great. This has been Admissible with me, Dean Natalie Blazer at the University of Virginia School of Law. My guest today was Senior Assistant Dean for Career Development, Kevin Donovan. For more information about UVA law, please visit law.virginia.edu. The season two finale of Admissible will be out Friday, April 28th. In the meantime, you can follow the show on Instagram at, at admissiblepodcast. Thanks so much for listening and please remember to rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts.